today since it's Independence Day, I want to take a look at the biblical theme of freedom, which I think is a little different in Israel than what we think of when we think of freedom. We always have to be careful when we read the Bible, because we read all of our stuff into its stuff. And the reality is, Israel never had a declaration of independence, and they never had a Fourth of July, right? Their sense of freedom meant something different to us than us. And, and I think that it inspired a lot of our church fathers, or a lot of our founding fathers, but I think it's not exactly the same as we might think of freedom. So I want to try to, to think about that. And I think part of the challenge is that for us, we generally tend to take our freedoms for granted. Okay, you came here to church and worship are worshiping publicly. I mean, there are a lot of places in the world you can't do what you're doing right now. You go to jail for what you're doing right now. Like, just think about that for a second. Right? A lot of us, some of us may have um, been in the military and fought to defend our freedom, but a lot of us didn't. And none of us fought to gain our freedom. That was happened a long time before we got here. We have Fourth of July to try to remember it. But, but so it's easy for us to, to not think about, because and really in a lot of our lives, we have not had freedom threatened very much. Like we, we, so it's easy for us to take it for granted. That was not true in Bible times. In both the times of the Old and the New Testament, um, you could lose your freedom. Okay, there's an opposite of freedom that we don't, aren't real threatened with, we don't really see. But the reality is, in, in biblical times, they knew exactly what the opposite of freedom was. I mean, in, in Bible times, when people were thrown in prison when they couldn't pay off their debts, you'd get thrown in prison, and your family would have to pay off your debt. And a lot of times, your family couldn't... If, if, if you were a fisherman, and you didn't have a lot of money, what do you think the rest of your family did? They were fishermen, and they didn't have a lot of money, and so you could go into debt and be thrown in prison... Um, and prison was often very harsh conditions. And, and in those days, there wasn't like a real court system. You could be thrown in for all kinds of stuff without a lot of due process. Like, think about the living in that kind of world. Think about living in a world where slavery was a common occurrence, like it happened down the street. We're just not as exposed to that. It does happen, by the way, around here. Uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor in Pittsburgh. He was talking with a Pittsburgh police officer who is the liaison with the FBI office in Pittsburgh for human trafficking. There's enough human trafficking happening in Pittsburgh that there are people that are professionally paid to try to fight it in Pittsburgh. It's happening. But a lot of times we're not exposed to it. But in those days, you knew slaves. You knew them by name. Now, slavery in those days was not quite the same as slavery the way we might think about it, because um, you, you, it wasn't always race-based, or you, you could earn your freedom. But still, this idea of not being your own master, that, that was common. Every day you saw people that were in those kind of circumstances. But, but in, in those days also, there, there, was, there, were, there was oppression. There was slavery that was really based on abuse and based on control and based on race. So, so you, you saw all of these things. So freedom in the Bible is defined as the opposite of slavery and oppression and prison because every day they saw those things and they wanted to be free of those things. And the image is so strong that sometimes it's literal, but sometimes it's also figurative. 
In other words, you can be slave, you can be imprisoned by a lot of things. You can be stuck in a lot of places. And it's an especially big theme for Israel because it's a part of their stories. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph who is sold into slavery by his brothers and then goes to prison when he uh, is turned in by Potiphar's wife when he's in Egypt. And part of the story is that God actually used that slavery and that imprisonment to save the people because Joseph ends up in a place where he can save all of Egypt but also all of his family from famine. For several generations, the people of Israel lived in Egypt and their numbers grew, but eventually the text tells us that a Pharaoh came to power that didn't know who Joseph was and didn't know the story, and so he starts trying to oppress these people, puts them into slavery, kills their firstborn male children so they can't... I mean, he's treating them like cattle. He's treating them like animals. Like, we're not going to let these, these things breed anymore. So he's treating people. And part of the story is that, that God spares of one of those little boys named Moses who leads the people out of slavery. And even that becomes kind of a funny story related to freedom, right? Because here are all these people, they've been, they were slaves, complaining about making bricks, and then Moses leads them out in the wilderness. And you know what they start doing in the wilderness? They start complaining. Like, maybe we should go back there. No, do you remember slavery, the bricks, the backs that were sore, the whippings? You remember all your firstborn children? You want to go back there? Because it's hot out, and you don't know where your food's quite going to come from? In fact, there's this great story in, the, in Exodus where Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, and while he's going to get all these commandments, the people decide that they want to have an idol. They want to have something to worship. So they give a bunch of gold. There's a big offering that's collected. And I love how Eugene Peterson puts it, that Aaron stops being the priest of the people and becomes the accomplice. He gives them the idol that he shouldn't be, he should be leading them away from. And they worship this idol. Even as they're getting out of slavery, they think, well, we need to go back and get an idol. We need to go back into what we know. They don't quite know what to do with their freedom. And so Moses leads them out of Egypt, but has trouble, I think, leading the Egypt out of them. It's like they can't quite come out of the slavery. So for 40 years, they wander around in the desert. They finally get in. But, but you understand like the, the struggle that they have with this idea of freedom. They finally get into the land. And uh, even as they get their land, they start worshiping other gods. They start struggling even in these moments. So that, in the end, they don't even keep their freedom. All these other people keep bullying them around. The whole book of Judges is like this. Other, other nations start taking them over. Eventually, you get this thing called the exile, where you get the Babylonians and the Persians, and they end up losing their land. They end up losing their freedom because they keep going back to idols. They keep going back to worship other things. It's like they can't quite... They don't quite know what to do with their freedom. They continue to become oppressed. And part of the question is, like, how come we keep... If we're God's chosen people, how come the Babylonians keep beating us up? The Persians keep beating us up. The Philistines keep beating us up. Egypt keeps... Like, if we're God's chosen people, how does that happen? And a lot of the Old Testament is a wrestling with, well, if we're supposed to be free, how come we're not free? And part of the answer of the prophets is... Because of the choices that you make. Because you take it for granted. And so Isaiah writes in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, of, of this, this day coming 
when things are going to be made right and when there's going to be this ruler that's going to come. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prisons to all those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn. You see what you see what Isaiah is saying? He's using this imagery of freedom to say, there's a day coming, and I'm partially here to proclaim it, but somebody's going to be coming later who's going to be filled with the Spirit, who's going to really proclaim it. He's going to, he's going to actually bring it into existence. And, and notice all the imagery. Good news to the poor, to the brokenhearted, liberty to the captives, freedom to unbind the prisoners. And yet, a few hundred years after Isaiah writes this, still they're under now Roman authority and Roman rule. And so Israel's left to wonder, like, what is going on? And part of that, I think the point of the Old Testament is to point out, is that ultimately, what are they slaves to? They're slaves to sin. They're slaves to self. Like, they keep messing this up. Their, their prison isn't actually to Babylonians or Egyptians or Philistines or Moabites. Their, their prison is actually something in them that they can't get free of. So then Jesus steps on the scene. And the way Matthew writes it, he's hidden away like Moses is, and spared from a killing of a bunch of male children. He becomes the bigger Moses, the better Moses. And then we get a great story in Luke chapter 4. Jesus comes to his hometown of Nazareth. I'm going to pick it up in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This should sound familiar to you because I just read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has, proclaimed, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He has to, to set up liberty for those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, I'm the one. I'm the freedom, I'm the freedom maker. Okay, I'm, the, I'm the prison freer. That's who I am. And all spoke well of him. And marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came in over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of a cliff on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. 
but he passed through their midst and he went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus comes to his hometown. These are people that knew him. Like you got to you understand that to understand the story. Right? They remember Joseph fixing their roof. They remember Jesus tagging along as they fixed a hole in the wall. They knew little Joseph. Imagine a boy that grew up down the street from you. That you knew your whole life. And now he starts coming in and he's doing all these miracles. And he says, this is me, Isaiah's talking about me. Right? I have friends from high school. They cannot imagine that I am a pastor. Right? Because they knew me in a very different season of my life. And for them, I'm always watching the stupid cartoons that we watched and trading basketball cards and being ridiculous. They can't see me as a full-grown adult. Right? Um, Because that's when they knew me. And that's Nazareth. They don't know what to do with this Jesus. They're amazed, but they can't quite believe all this stuff. But they wouldn't mind the miracles. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't mind the feeding. Like, can we do the feeding? Let's do the feeding thing. Can we do the the blind guy get up? Let's do that thing. Because there's a blind guy here. Let's do that. But but they don't want Jesus as a Messiah. They have the little boy Jesus from down the street. Do the do the magic stuff you did in Capernaum. But then Jesus says that he's he's not welcome in his hometown. Again, we we all have those friends from high school. Can't imagine us as adults. Jesus doesn't do miracles for them. In fact, Mark says, the Gospel of Mark says he can't do miracles. There's so much unbelief in the room that it's like he, he can't even do the miracles. And then Jesus gives these two weird examples. You can look them up later if you want, but there's this time when Elijah was a prophet and he wasn't welcome in the community because there was a famine and everybody blamed it on Elijah. And so he ended up having to flee the country and go to another land. He ends up healing somebody there who's a widow. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Everybody rejected Elijah, and it was a Gentile woman that got the healing. There were other people that needed healing, but they don't get the healing, right? And then even Elisha uh, uh, has a time when he is not real welcome, but he ends up in another part, and he ends up healing a uh, Gentile uh, as well. Actually, a Gentile general, a Syrian general, which would have been super hated. And Jesus is, what Jesus is doing is he's taking a poke at the crowd. He's saying, here I am, ready to bring all this freedom, able to do all this healing, and you are rejecting me. You don't want me to be who I am. And uh, you're taking it for granted, and so guess what? You know who's going to get this healing? The people you don't like, (laughs) the Gentiles. Everybody else is going to get this healing. Everybody else is going to get this freedom. Blind people in other parts are going to get their sight, but you're not. And the crowd gets so mad that they take him up to a cliff to throw him off and kill him. And uh, the, the text just says that he then goes through the crowd and leaves. Well, this, ever, this has always been looked at as a little bit of a miracle. Like, how do you get through the crowd that's there to kill you? Everybody knows what you look like. You're the only person heading that direction. That Jesus, like, sort of, sort of has a miracle where he, he goes through this crowd and gets away. And suddenly they're getting ready to throw a guy off a cliff. And the guy's not here anymore. Like, where did he go? Of course, the the cool part of the story is, if Jesus can do that in Nazareth, 
He could have done it in Jerusalem, and he didn't. There was a time when he didn't go through the crowd. He actually went to his death. Why? To give the freedom that Isaiah was talking about. To, to actually give freedom to the captives. He was captured. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was crucified. He was put in the prison of the tomb. And the only reason we can find freedom is because he broke free of that tomb. This, this language of freedom then becomes a huge part of the language of Paul. In Romans 6, Paul encourages us to be slaves to righteousness and slaves to God, whereas we used to be slaves to sin and slaves to the world. In Romans 8, he reminds us that there's now no condemnation for those who are in, in Jesus. And then this is the one I love. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For freedom you have been set free. That's a really kind of a stupid verse at first glance. Like, for freedom you've been set free. But then when you start to think about the story of Israel, you start to think about the people of Nazareth, what you realize is sometimes when people are free, they don't like the freedom. For some reason, we are bent towards slavery. For some reason, we take our freedoms for granted, and so sometimes we end up losing them. So, if the Son of sin, Son of God, Jesus says, sets you free, you are free indeed. But sometimes we have trouble with that freedom. There's a, a great example of this, I think, in a guy named Plato. Plato wrote this, this little story called The Allegory of a Cave. I, I wonder sometimes if Paul had written, read it. And uh, in The Allegory of a Cave, it, the story is that people are in a cave, and they're, they're tied so they can only see the back of the cave. And then there's an opening in the front of the cave, and then in front of the opening, like between the people and the opening, there's a trail. So what happens is people will walk this trail, okay? And all these people can see is the shadows of the people that walk past. They spend their whole life, so all they ever know is the shadows. And then Plato talks about what happens if one day they're freed. How long would it take them to turn around and realize that the wall is just a shadow of the real world? How many people would never get free because they would only accept the shadows they've already known? They'd never turn to freedom. How long would it take somebody to actually walk out of that cave? If all you knew was this, how long would it take you to go to that? And how, how would it be, what would it be like if you had lived your life in this cave and only seen the shadows, you finally get out and then you come back to evangelize and tell other people, you are not tied anymore. You can walk out of this cave. All the stuff that you think you know is fake. It is not real. How many people would reject you for that freedom? So Plato was talking about enlightenment. But I think he's catching the real truth of what Paul is talking about and what Jesus is getting at, which is our tendency when we find freedom to go back to the slavery that we know. And we all do this. We all prefer oppression to the, to, that we know to the freedom that we don't. We all return back to our old habits, to our old friends. Okay? How many times have you dieted? Okay? How many times do people give up smoking? Um, uh, who is the author, the um, author of Tom Sawyer, that said, I, smoking, giving up smoking is easy. I've done it many times. Right? Twain. 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 Thank you, Mark Twain. Um, like, 
how often do we return to the slavery? And so maybe when Paul says, for freedom you've been set free, maybe, maybe he's not so foolish. Maybe it's a good reminder that we so often, like Israel, are like, let's go back to slavery. That we so often take for granted our, uh, our, uh, our freedoms and our rights and what God has given us. That we're like, well, let's, let's go under the law again. Let's put some rules around this so we feel a little better. Let's build a little idol so that we know what we're dealing with here. That we go back to slavery. I'm not sure why we struggle with freedom so much. Is it because we feel unworthy? I've got news for you. We are unworthy. <laughs> Maybe we should just own it. That we are unworthy of the freedom that Christ gives us. Maybe it's because the slavery is familiar or a life of real, true freedom feels so unfamiliar that I, I better, it's better to just stay planted than, than move and not know where I'm going to end up. So if you find that you have bondage, you feel oppressed, you feel stuck, I'm telling you that you are already free. Christ has already set you free. And he didn't set you free just so that you'd stay stuck in whatever you're stuck in. He set you free so that you would be free indeed. So what would it be like to really let go of the anger that holds you back? The bitterness, the hurt, the wounds. What would it be like to really let go of the anxiety? To really leave the broken relationship behind you and actually live into the freedom? Because if, if we're not careful, we can take our freedom for granted and end up living very stuck, very trapped lives. And I wonder if as a country that's partly where we are, that we have taken for granted our freedoms. And I, wonder some, I worry sometimes that we're in danger of going back on some of the liberty that we have. Because I know in the Bible that's our tendency. Our tendency is to go back on our freedom. So may you live into the freedom that you have in Christ. May you have a great Independence Day. Celebrate the freedoms and the sacrifices that were made so that you could have the freedom to worship like you are today. But may you also remember what true freedom is all about. And may you get out of your prison cells. May you find healing. May you get sight where you feel blind. May you really find the freedom that Christ has set you free for. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.